it's a foundational building block in us, how, how we move forward. So I'm speaking to what I believe to be mostly Christians and believers, but there are also the Gospels in here too. So I never want to leave an opportunity without you being able to respond to that. So if you don't know what I'm talking about this morning, if it's completely gobbledygook to you, I'll try and explain it along the way and I'll give you an opportunity because I think the Holy Spirit is going to, I'm hoping he's going to stir, stir some stuff in your heart. So, so let's start right at the beginning. Is in, uh, you guys all know the story um, in Exodus. I think it's Exodus 36. So there are a couple of scriptures I'll put up and then a couple that I will read intentionally. I've given Charlie some of my scriptures just so you guys know. I'm going to paraphrase that and tell you what happens in those. But that's for you guys so that you can go and check me on it. But in Exodus, in Exodus 36, um, we see Moses talking to the Israelites as they've, as they've come out of Israel, and they, God has just instructed him to build the tabernacle. You guys know what the tabernacle is? It was, it was a very expensive tent. <laughs> Sorry, my parents in law are in the. Glamping, yeah, talk about glamping. My parents-in-law in the camping industry, the, the camp shop, and I was just, while I was pondering it, it was like, what's the best way to explain it? It's a very, very expensive tent. But it was the first, actually the first temple, the first place of meeting, the first place for God to reside amongst his people. Now what's interesting for me is, is this is the very first picture that we get in the Old Testament of it. And I'm going to run us through that a little bit. Now, when they, when they leave Egypt, the Israelites, they kind of plunder Egypt, not by force, but the Egyptians come and give gifts to them. They actually leave Egypt extremely rich. How crazy is that? They were slaves, and God doesn't only set them free, He blesses them on the way with incredible riches and the vastness of riches, gold and precious stones and things like you could not imagine. Okay? The riches of Egypt actually were left with them. It's quite interesting that. So now these people are holding on to these things and they have these things. God comes, tells Moses, I want you to build the tabernacle. And he's very direct and explicit in the way he wants the tabernacle built. And he gives them the plans. And the people come and they bring gifts, offerings, from those riches. And they lay it at, pretty, at Moses' feet. And from those gifts, from the gold that they brought, the tabernacle gets built, actually. Um, and there's a, very, there's a very interesting picture in there because, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but you see, so, so from what gets brought out of Egypt, from the riches of the people, the tabernacle gets built. Then we move forward about 440 years, I think it is, how far is it? Yeah, about 440 years to 1 Chronicles, and the, the Israelites have taken the promised land, they're now under the rule of David, you guys all know who King David is. And his son Solomon takes over the rule from him. And Solomon builds the temple, the first temple. It's known as Solomon's temple. Okay. But I was, sorry, I was going to go two steps back. When the tabernacle was made, um, they sacrificed and they, uh, they dedicated to the Lord. And what happens is the presence of God comes and fills the tent, fills the Holy of Holies like a smoke. Comes, it sits above it, and, and you couldn't even enter into it. It was this overwhelming thing. But the people could 
see this, right? They could, they physically, they saw the power and the manifest presence of God in this. That would be quite something, don't you think? Huh? Imagine walking past an expensive tent. And yeah. <laughs> you guys. So, no, but really, like, think about that. I just thought, like, imagine being seeing the presence of God, like, on a daily basis, being able to actually see it tangibly. Not just feel it and experience it, but actually see it. Oh, I think they saw it more than they felt it, actually. We get to feel it more than we probably see it. Or maybe we're looking for the wrong thing. And I'll talk a little bit about that as well. So now what happens? 440 years later, the Israelites have taken the promised land under the, under the rule of David. There's massive um, um, uh, blessing and provision and just it's over. Solomon becomes king and it just becomes more. The wisest man. The richest man. And Solomon builds a temple. David wanted to build it, but he couldn't. Solomon begins to build a temple. And the same thing happens here, actually. We see, I think it's in 1 Chronicles 29. You can, again, you can go and read that for yourself. But David, David started this. He starts speaking to the leaders and to the people. And people bring from their own riches and lay it at their feet for the building of the temple. Gold, precious stones, all these valuable things, colorful cloth, everything that could, you could possibly imagine that was valuable to them, they would come and they would give. And so much, I think, they actually had to tell them to stop at one stage. Now, the interesting thing here is, I went blank, what am I saying? <laughs> okay, so again, we see this, oh, sorry. So then the Temple of Solomon, I think it was one of the most beautiful and well-known structures of the ancient world. You know that. So, I mean, this is something of incredible beauty, of incredible wealth, like exorbitant wealth, like just, I mean, crazy. Like, you know, you get some wealthy guys and they just splash money around just because they can. Like, this is a hundred times worse than that. Like, this is just, because it's the, this is God's house, the guys want to be extravagant in this, okay? And the, the, um, the temple gets built. And again, they sacrifice. I can't even remember what they, how many they sacrificed. Like thousands and thousands and thousands of sheep and, bee, and get, cattle. And, also, and again, fire from heaven actually falls on the altar. And the presence of God comes and resides in the temple. Again, the people, they see this. They can't enter in. The cloud is there. It's in the Holy of Holies. And again, for me, this is this amazing this beautiful picture of just people bringing of their riches, bringing of themselves. And then we have a, a gap of almost a thousand years. I think the temple was built in 950-something BC. We've got about a thousand years gap between the temple being built and Jesus coming. And I want to quickly look at 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16. Sorry, Charlie, I didn't tell you that one to read, but we can read that one. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in you? Now, this is a thousand years later. That's new covenant. The te temple's being built was old covenant. This is Paul speaking after Jesus. So Jesus comes... He changes things. 
He, what makes the Old Testament is a shadow of the new. What he makes now, what like we could see in the physical, he actually builds into us, into spiritually, into our hearts. And we become the temples of the Holy Spirit. So there's a transition from the old to the new. And it's a shadow, okay? But I want to go to Ephesians 2. So now there's a, now there's a shift, a transition that happens here. And I want to help you guys see something in this transition. Let's go to Ephesians 2 quickly. 219 to 22 and I want to I want to read this so this now links we, we know that now we become we've become the temples of the Holy Spirit in Jesus but now this links the individual to a corporate as well there's a there's a parallel type of spe- uh, language that's going on here it's a comparative language between the physical between the individual and the corporate this is what happens here it says so then you are no longer strangers and aliens but your fellow citizens of the saints, oh sorry, with the saints and members of the household of God. Who's he speaking to? He's speaking to you. He's speaking to the people that have accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior, the people that have been bought with the price of Jesus' blood. He's not speaking to those outside of that, he's speaking to those. Okay? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now, do you see something shifted now? It's gone, he's, talking, he's no longer talking about gold and precious stones and those type of things. He's talking about you and me. If you're in Jesus, if you're in Christ, being added together, being built with, being joined together and built into the temple of Christ. That, now, now, you see there's a shift that's happening. I want to go, let's have a look at um, 1 Peter 1, verse 1 to 2. And uh, we'll, I'm going to join it all now. You're going you're to see, hopefully. So this is 1 Peter, and I, this is where I felt God speak to me actually out of. I'm just wanting to lay a little bit of a foundation and a context to you. So when, when I speak out, it says, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, he's just identifying who he is, to God's elect strangers in the world scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Now, who is he talking to? This was written almost 2,000 years ago. It's very clear he's talking to. He's talking to strangers in the world. But these are people that are in Jesus. But you know, 2,000 years ago, he's speaking to you right now. That is very applicable to us. That's not a that's not a, a now letter. That's a almost I want to call it an eternal letter. That echoes through the ages because he's talking to people he doesn't even know there and those that will know Jesus. So you you need to understand this. Peter's that's not we, we mustn't detach ourselves from this letter. We must receive this letter as a very personal letter. It's to you and it's to me. It's to you, Chris, Jeff, Ashley. Neil, Curtis, God's speaking to you through this letter. You might as well you can take that out. You can put your name there. Who've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God, the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, for obedience to Christ Jesus and sprinkling by His blood, grace and peace be yours in abundance. So this is just the beginning of his letter, but it's very important that we understand that he's speaking to you. I don't want it just to go over our head here. You see... Um, 
the key there is to knowing that we're in Jesus, right? So by the sprinkling of the blood, the foreknowledge, according to the foreknowledge of God. So that's where, that's why I said it right at the beginning, who I'm, who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people that know Jesus, that have a relationship with Jesus, really. If you don't know Jesus, you don't have a relationship with Jesus, you actually can't have part in what I'm about to tell you unless you come to Jesus. So I'm going, I want to give you the opportunity to come to Jesus. I want to show you and tell you what that's about too. But you can't actually have part of that unless you come to So I'm just putting a little bit of perspective yeah, where, where we're going with this. Okay, so let's go further on. 1 Peter 2 verse 4 to 5. Oh, sorry, 4 and 5. As you come to him, as we come to Christ, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. So who's the living stone? The living stone. Also the cornerstone. Also known as the cornerstone. It's Jesus. You yourselves like living stones. So you yourselves. You can put your name in there. Me, Ross, myself, <laughs> like a living stone. And being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifice is acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Interesting that, eh? You and you and you and you are now, are now living stones if you've accepted Jesus. See, the, the Bible says he takes a heart of stone. Interesting correlation. In choice of words, he takes a heart of stone, gives us a heart of flesh, and he makes us living stones, and he builds us together into a spiritual house, a temple. And a temple that's not just there for to look good, but it's a temple to hold his glory. That is profound. That we are built together to hold the manifest glory of God guys get that? you get the responsibility of that? Do you understand the beauty of that? It's not just here on a Sunday, see you on a Wednesday, check the box, I'm going to heaven. We have been given a purpose to come together, to be built together, to look beautiful, to be able to contain the glory of God individually, but also corporately. The Bible does say this, it says he, make, he uses the church to make his manifold wisdom known to principalities, rulers, and high and dark, dark places. So he uses the church, the church, to wow the world. Okay, I'm just <laughs> I'm changing the language a little bit. But they look and they go, oh my goodness, what is this? And there's something of an understanding of what it is to be built together. And I've, I've, actually, I've shared this before. I think I, when I very first, when I came, came to, to Weinberg, I, um, I preached about being living stones. And uh, it's, 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 very, it's a very much a, a topic on my heart. Not a topic, because it's not a topic. But it's a revelation and, and something that I carry very dearly in my heart because I understand the importance of what God wants to do through His church. So... I preach Christ, but Christ works through his church, and that's you guys. Do you understand what I'm saying? So you might often wonder, Ross, you talk a lot about church. I know, but church is the body of Christ. And it's never, never, it's never above him, but it's through him. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, 
Itu architecture. Oh, there we got a couple, Matt. You're an architect, eh? Leandra, are you an architect? Wonderful. Leandra, where are you? She's here as well. She's an architect. She's upstairs. Uh, who else? And engineer. It's engineer. So who else is in the building industry? No, you know, yeah, you, you know the building industry. You, you, you pick up quite a lot through it. You know the building industry, yeah. And she's. So the reason I'm asking this is, is you'll begin to understand the importance of bricks. Right, so what is a brick? I mean, a brick on its own. I mean, what's a brick on its own? A stone on its own. It's not really good for much, right? Huh? It's a weapon. <laughs> you maybe put it under your car tire to stop your car from rolling back. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe there's something there. Right? Can, on its own, it can stop things from happening. <laughs> so there's, I mean, what is a brick? A stone on its own is not really of much value, to be honest with you. It's well, not, I'm saying it's not value, but it's not purpose. But when you begin to put them together, they begin to, there are lots of bricks around here. They, they find purpose, they form a room or a house. People can dwell within the house, bring shelter, protection. Actually looks beautiful. I mean, there's some works of architect, architectural work, uh, um, buildings or structures that are incredibly beautiful. When we look, in, look at them, they're pleasing to the eye, right? Oh, not this place. <laughs> but I've, I've been to, to some really incredible, um, incredibly beautiful buildings. I've had the privilege of, of being in Italy and seeing the, the cathedral, the St. Peter's Basilica. It is incredibly beautiful, like, but it's, I promise you, a brick on its own is not a thing of beauty. I don't know about you, you guys think that, <laughs> and it, but it's just the brick, but until it comes together, it begins to look beautiful, it begins to have a purpose. And I, and I think that's why Paul, he uses a lot of this language, because it's quite simple language. Now the thing with a brick is, I've, um, I've had a, a little bit of experience um, in building, not professional experience, but I, we own a house and we bought it, it was a very run-down, call it a fixer-upper, it, it was a fall apart. <laughs> it was falling apart, and you guys know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and um, I got in there and I had a vision and an idea for it, Margo had a vision and an idea for what her house was going <laughs> to and she sent me to work. And um, I love breaking walls down. Hey? There's nothing better than a 10 pound Just, mm, feels so good. <laughs> it really feels good. You get dusty and dirty, but it's just, oh, I love it. I really, that was one of my favorite parts, I think, of, of renovating was breaking walls down. But up and cleaning afterwards it was a mess I cut my finger like if you ever try and handle broken bricks you cut your fingers it's a it's terrible you don't realize how many bricks go into a wall like i was carrying wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow after wheelbarrow after, when does this end there was just one wall <laughs> anyway so the, you be, I began to understand the, the importance of bricks I began to understand a little bit of how building works i would like if it was up to me i like open spaces and 
and uh, open living. I like big areas. Okay? So does Margaret. So if it was up to us, we would take all the walls out of our house. Problem is, what's going to happen to the roof? What happens to the roof, right? It's going to collapse. Exactly. And you get special walls, certain walls in a, in a house called load-bearing walls that you can't take out because lintels and roof trusses are resting on them. And I began to learn that quite quickly. <laughs> my, my buddy would come and visit me, he was an engineer. I was like, I want to take this wall out. I just I don't like it yet. He's like, well, you can't touch that wall. <laughs> just leave it. So we'd have to come up with other plans. Now, because there are ways and there are ways to do it, right? You don't have to have walls. There's things called lintels. So if you take enough bricks out of a wall, look, let me show you here. If you take enough bricks out of this wall here, there's nothing supporting the bricks above it. What you're probably going to find, correct me if I'm wrong, is a crack beginning to form above it. And it's going to compromise the structural integrity, integrity of this wall. Should have been a builder. I am a builder. But now, above this door here, you see the same amount of brickwork. Why is that not cracking? Because above this door over here, you can't see it because it's been plastered in. There's a thing called a lintel. It's got steel reinforcing in it, thick cement, and on that you can place a lot of weight and a lot of you can build on it, right? problem is if you don't know that and you just start building and you build bricks on top of this this wooden thing you eventually this, the weight's going to push it down this door's not going to open or close it's already bad enough as it is <laughs> but this door's not going to open and close it's not going to work properly you see the problem is here and that's a cool picture is if we bricks and stones living stones been built into a wall and we pull ourselves out of this wall without making plans or talking to one another. We've got to realize we're part of that wall. It could crack and cause structural integrity to be a problem in that wall. And I love that. I actually love that picture. It's like we need to understand that each one of us has a purpose in this body, in this house, in this temple that God's building together. Okay. So we do have, there is a bigger body, but when God adds you to something, He adds you to something. He builds you into a wall. And if you just take yourself out of that wall, you're going to cause problems for the rest of the house. <laughs> but it's possible. I mean, it doesn't mean the brick can't come out there. So we can take a few bricks out there, you put a few supports in, you put a lintel there, and it'll be okay. It's, it's doable. So it doesn't mean that brick can never come out. It just needs to be done properly. And you see, that's the thing with church, actually. And I think that is one of the, that's why I want to share this, wanted to share this this morning, starting the new year, even having a lot of people, new people visit us, is we need to be well, we need to be well grounded in our values of who we are, that we're not just a bunch of people coming together on a Sunday, that we're a family, that we're a, we're a holy spiritual building being built together, we're a temple being built together, and you, as a visitor, are a part of that. And that's what you're joining yourself to. And to understand that. Because as we build, as more weight gets put on top of us, as God adds more people to us, as Brian said right at the beginning, it's him who builds his church that the gates of hell may not prevail. But as God adds more people to us and builds more onto us, we need to know that our foundations are good, our walls are solid, the lintels are in the right place as he builds. Now, isn't it 
weird because he builds his church, but he still entrusted it, entrusted it to us as we live and move and work together in these things. You see, I think often what happens is people don't have that understanding. And a lot of you guys do have that understanding. I'm just, I'm just relaying a foundation here, making sure that we got that foundation good as we, as we go into the new year because I think I've got a sense in us that something's going to pop this year. That we're gonna we're gonna see more people coming in, and if we don't have these things in place, we're gonna we're gonna struggle. And there's you see there's something there's something with a, a um, what happens if we don't have that understanding. Sorry, let me take two steps back. If we don't have that understanding, we we would we be inclined as soon as pressure comes to jump out of something or to take our mind off something or to 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 run in a sense. And I can understand that, promise you, this is not like, I get it. Sometimes we, maybe we come from a different past church history, we've been hurt. And I get that, I promise you, I understand, I know what it is to be hurt, I do. But I also know what it is to be built in. And the weight of being built in outweighs the, outweighs the weight of being hurt. Okay? So we have to come to a place where we understand that God's way, the way he does things and we don't let our past experiences affect us taint us cloud our vision and not allow us to become part of those things what we could quite easily do is sit on the fence and not become part of the structure not become part of what god is doing actually and and then what like and another and we do that people do do that we they they are what's the word i'm like weary weary of becoming part because they know they actually know what it entails so here's an interesting thing like and i want to i love this picture and i think it's such a good picture you know i think it's in john john 6 53 jesus says this to his disciples unless you eat of my body and you drink of my blood you cannot have any part of me truly truly i say to you unless you eat of my flesh Oh, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink of his blood, you have no life. You have no life in you. What he's saying, if you don't drink of my flesh, drink of my blood. I mean, eat of my flesh, drink of my blood, you have, blood, you have no part of me. Now, what, what I think we do is we, like we, look at that, and we preach about communion, and we think, cool, it's a good scripture. And it does mean that. That's what it's talking about. But the thing here is, I think we've taken communion in that scripture and we've minimized it to just that, actually. And let me explain it to you. I think we've reduced communion to just the sacraments. And we remember, we remember what Christ did, but I think we've reduced it to just the sacraments because here's an interesting thing. Unless we immerse ourselves in Christ and consume everything that he has for us, we cannot have a part in him, actually. Unless we surrender completely to him, we cannot have a part of him. Now, follow me when I follow me with this. Because I think this is what we do. We reduce communion to just sipping and chewing. Let's get it, and I'll tell you why. Let's go to Exodus quickly. Exodus 36. There we go. I'll t- tell you what that's about now. Um, 
I just found my place here. And you've got you to listen carefully to this, because this is, this is crucial. So Jesus is, he's talking about his body there. What are we known as now? We, talk, we, we refer to as the body of Christ. This is Exodus 12. Nine. Do not eat any of it raw or boiled in water, but roast it, its head with its legs and its inner parts. That scripture is referring to the very first Passover lamb. The first lamb, they were still in Egypt, the Israelites. They were told to take a lamb into their house. For four days, they slaughtered the lamb and they were told to roast that lamb. Head, body, legs and insides. That's a bit odd. And eat it all. Not leaving anything behind. If they left anything behind, they were to burn it so it wouldn't be there the next morning. That's the first Passover lamb. Jesus is the ultimate, is the Passover lamb. He's the, he's the Passover lamb. You, you understand there's a correlation here. Jesus says, unless you eat of my body or drink of my blood, you cannot have any part of me. That's quite a graphic picture. But what, there's, a, there's a parallel here in God saying, unless you consume every part of me, unless you surrender entirely to me, you cannot have every part of me. You cannot have any part of me. It's, it's the first time I saw it. I read it the other day and I was like, oh my goodness. It was like, that is amazing. What's he saying in that? He's saying, you've got to take the good with the bad. Because he knows we're not perfect. He builds us into this house, his body. And he says, consume it all, the good with the bad. I know you're going to get hurt. I know you're going to get disappointed. I know people are going to irritate you. I know people aren't going to do things the way you want them to do. But I've called you to consume, to be part of, to come together, to be built into a house that I can reside in with my glory. That's the Lord's word. That's His way of doing things. And I think when we begin to look at it through those eyes and through that lens, we, we go, okay, this isn't just, this isn't fun and games. This isn't just church on a Sunday and community on a Wednesday. This is partaking in a price and following and building out a design, God's design, that His manifold wisdom, His glory will be made known to the earth. And when we carry the weight, when we understand the weight of see, it's not heavy, but it is actually. It's very weighty. A whole bunch of bricks on top of you is a heavy thing. But his yoke is easy and his burden is light. You see, the key is in him. Every one of those scriptures says, in Christ, in him. That's why I'm saying to you, if you're not in him, you can't actually have a part of this. You can't. It's going to be heavy and it's going to be terrible eventually. But in him, you begin to understand the weight of these things. And I, as I, I thought about this, and I was like, Lord, what are you going to do in us this year? Because you want to, I wish everyone could hear this, because this is a call to, hey guys, God wants to do mighty things through us. This is a call to guys, 
Get your house in order because I want to break out in my power and my glory in you and through you. And when I felt that, I was just, I was shaken. Because what? How beautiful is it? It excites me. Does it excite you? I don't know. Like it may sound a bit heavy here and there, but it actually excites me. It makes, yes, I mean, I want to be part of that. I want to be a pillar. I want to be a lintel. I want to be built into your house. I want to see your glory, Lord. I want to see it come through us. We often, we're wanting to look, we want to look for miracles, signs and wonders, but the glory of God is in us, working amongst us as we're loving one another, doing life together, staying together, being open and accountable to one another, doing life together. When one of us struggles getting around each other, praying for each other, that's the glory of God at work amongst us. Not necessarily somebody just getting out of a wheelchair. That's part of the glory of God. It would be great to see that. But that's what we tend to look for is the manifest glory of God and the power of God. It's so much more than that. It's glorious. And I hope, I hope as I share that I'm opening our eyes a little bit to this. That you would carry the same heart, the same desire, the same vision that I would as we come together in unity. God says as, he, as we come together in unity, where there's unity, He commands a blessing. He commands a blessing. So if we're unified in the way we build together and the way we, we do things, imagine. It's exciting, eh? It's exciting. Yeah. So I, if, that's, if you want to be that, if you want to be a brick that's not just taken out of the wall, if you want to become a lintel in this house, stand with me. So, you know, we can see this, but we can be scared of this. Because it's, it's a big commitment, right? It's a big thing. So I'll give my life to this, actually. Because you gave your life for me, Jesus. So Nicola had a good word now. So there might be past hurt and experiences that affect you in the way you look, the way you see things. Even right now, you're standing with intrepidation going, oh my goodness, this is hectic. I know, he's convinced me enough, but... <laughs> But I think God supernaturally wants to come and break those things in your life. As you respond, as you go, Lord, I actually want to be that. I want to step in. I want to be built in. I see and know that I've got hang-ups. Would you come and heal me from those things? And I think actually that's what we're going to pray. But before I pray, and I've asked everyone to stand now, because I've told you time and time again that you, you can't be added to this. You can't be part of this. You can maybe on a very, very shallow, superficial level. But unless you've tasted of Jesus and seen Jesus and received Jesus as your Lord and Savior, unless you believe in your heart, you're not a living stone. You're, you're a dead stone. I'm sorry. But He desires all men to be saved. He desires every single person to be built into this house. And if that's you, and you haven't surrendered your life to Jesus, if you haven't 
Taking that step of faith and go, Lord, I believe in you. My heart is convinced. My heart is convinced. It's not because my words, it's because the Holy Spirit has convinced your heart. It's not a transaction that happens, it's a transformation. You were dead in your transgression. Your heart was stone. Now you've been made alive. You have a heart of flesh. We need to understand that before we even pray this together, before we make a stand together and commit to something together as a congregation, that if there's one person here that doesn't know Jesus, that wants this but can't be, be, part, can't be part of that until... I'd love to pray with you. We would love to pray with you because this is the most important day of your life. So I don't know everybody here and I'm going to ask you, do you know Jesus? Do you know Jesus? Do you believe in your heart? And if you don't, we'd love to pray with you. If you don't know how to pray, I'll pray with you and help you. We'll pray. I'll show you what you know something's happening in your heart. And if that's you this morning, just raise your hand. Man, we're a family. We'll pray with you. Is there anyone here? I know I'm putting it on thick, guys. I know it on thick, but this is the most important moment. Say it with a smile on my face. I love Jesus, man. I love him with all my heart and I want you to know him. He's changed my life. He can change your life. If there's anyone here that doesn't know him. Alright. I believe everyone does. And if you don't and you're scared to put your hand up, come and speak to me afterwards, please. But for the rest of us that are standing. How are we going to do this? Like, how do we, Lord, how do we, there's no way that we can do this on our own. So maybe let's, let's close our eyes. I'll pray for us and we can agree with you. Lord, there is no way humanly possible that we can do this on our own. It's only by your Spirit. It's you the one that adds, you're the one that builds. Lord, what we can do is we can surrender to you. And we choose to do that. We choose to surrender our lives to you, to commit to doing things your way. And we ask you, Lord, that as we do that, you would build us together as living stones into a beautiful house that manifests your glory, holds your glory, shines your glory to the world. That our foundations would be firm in you, Jesus, Christ Jesus, the cornerstone. That you would work through us, that you would knit our hearts together, and that by your Spirit, Lord, you would do this. In Jesus' mighty name. In Jesus' mighty name. Yeah. Come, Lord, do it. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Do it, Lord. Make us one. Lord, your word says. You desire us to be one as you and the Father are one. Make us one in heart, mind, purpose, Lord. That is impossible without your Spirit. And Lord, through that, we see the lost come to know you. That we would see your Spirit poured out upon people, upon the nations, upon our area around us, our community, Lord. We would see people's lives transformed, Lord. The community transformed, Lord turned on its head, Lord. We pray, Lord Jesus, for salvations, for people to come to know you. People to come to know you, Lord Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name.
Amen. Sure. Amen. <laughs> I don't know what to do, Lord. <laughs> yeah. Imagine how beautiful it'll look. Imagine how beautiful it'll look. Amen. You guys can coffee at the back. <laughs> you can sit out if you want. Fellowship, enjoy each other's company. The guys. Get to know one another as well. If there are visitors here, please. Guys, if you don't recognize somebody, introduce yourself to them. Invite them to community. Amen.